what are you going to tell us, tough guys? My usual. Zero. Nothing. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's that time of the week again. You're joined by Tyson Popplestone right here on the Pop Culture Podcast. Some people say it's their favourite time of the week. Some people, uh, I mean, they do say it's their favourite time of the week, but I've got to be honest, I don't think it's got heaps to do with the show. I think it's got more to do with the fact that it's a Friday afternoon. It's part of what makes it a fun time for me, I'll tell you that much. Sorry I missed you last week. I, I got no excuses really. I was doing my best. I was doing my best, and uh, I, I think dad life sometimes can form a little bit of an excuse if you're not careful. I don't like to be the kind of guy that makes excuses, but last week my kid wanted to go to the pool, and I thought, well, I've got, I've got the pop culture podcast to get done. And then it came time to record. My boy goes, Dad, I'm going to need you right now. And so I took him to the pool. He's got a crush on a little girl that goes to the pool sometimes, so I feel bad holding him back because he's. He's two years old, but it's amazing how early the interest in women start for the little straight ones. I've been I've been amazed at it. He had his first breakdown last week. We left church, and her name's Lenny. And little Lenny, she must be eight years old, old guess. Well, she's a little cutie. If you're a two-year-old, I, yeah, I reckon as a two... You've got to be careful in this territory how you phrase these statements. But I, I think as a two-year-old, I would have been like, you know what, I would hang out with Lenny. As a 36-year-old man, though, you've got to be very cautious with that because it can it can sound quite creepy quite quickly if you're not careful. But my boy, as a two-year-old, has full uh, full permission to to admire admire the older women, and she's been giving him cuddles and holding his hands, and he keeps looking at me like, "Dad, look what I'm doing." I go, "I can see, buddy," and I'm I'm very proud. But at church last week, Lenny was there, and that you know, they had a little bit of chemistry. They've just started to form that together, which was nice, and. They were drawing pictures together and cuddles, and he was looking at me like, hey, can you see? I go, I can see, buddy. I see what you're doing. It was a very similar approach I took with your mother. Just hung out, drew pictures, and just hope for the best. But it's hard, though, because you know, at that age, it's he's two, she's eight. She's going to have her first boyfriend in five years. Charlie's only going to be seven. It's going to be hard for him to to accept that, I think going to be a difficult little challenge but hey i'll be there for him through that i've been through plenty his mum rejected me the first time and um i became more resilient and the truth is i won anyway because now we're married with two kids so who's a loser now is uh, is what i always say to her she doesn't really like it when i say that because it's disrespectful to say to your wife but gives me a little pep in my step it's weird coming up here to record these podcasts as well because charlie said hey dad can you come and put me to bed i said buddy daddy has to go do some work my wife looked at me like, "You're gonna go? Do, you, aren't you doing your podcast?" I said, "Well, babe, come on. I think it sounds more respectable if you say to your boy, you're going upstairs to work, not just to speak about things that are on your mind for, <laughs> for half an hour." But that's what we're here for. It's what the pop culture podcast is about. It's a freedom to party, as they say. It's a party kind of day as well, because here in Australia, the AFL football seasons just start. If you live anywhere but Victoria, you probably won't know what that is. Jump on YouTube and, and just type in that term, AFL highlights. You'll see some good bits. My team's the Carlton Football Club, who haven't won the the AFL Grand Final, which is our, our major championship of the year <clears throat> in September, October, I think it is now, since 1995. So I was eight years old when it first happened. It was 28 years ago. So it's been a long time between drinks. And last night, our, our team knocked off the reigning premiers, which was an exciting it's an exciting night, but the problem is people get excited too quickly. 
It's round two of the football. I'm not sure if I just told you that last night was the first round. It, it wasn't. It was round two. We drew in the first week, which is it, it's not a really common thing to happen in the world of AFL. And then last night, as I said, knocked off the reigning premiers. Looked really good. But as I said, it's very early in the season. And yeah, I find it difficult because last season our team was in the top eight. The top eight make the finals. We're in the top eight until the last one minute, really, of the last game before finals started. So you can't be too arrogant this early because unless you're in the finals, unless you're in the grand final, no one really cares. Very strange watching the football these days. I noticed last night, and I noticed in a couple of games last week, there's there's not just the AFL flags, there's the, the, the gay pride flags that are in the audience now with your team's logo on it. And I don't really understand it because we have a pride round each year, which, I mean, I've got no problem with it at all. But in the men's division, we, we, have, a, we, have, a gay, we have a pride round each, each year to, to make the players feel more comfortable to do our part to, I guess, say sorry for how we treated them for so many years and making it awkward and judging them on their lifestyle choices. And now, just in the home and away season, not even when it's Pride Round, we have we have the gay pride flag with our team's logo on it. And I see those in the audience. And I go, I don't, I don't really understand the purpose of it. Because the AFL, we, we try and make a really big deal about the fact that we're so welcoming to the the gay community but you know in the history of the afl there's never been an openly gay player as far as i'm aware so the women's league is different i think uh almost a, a part of entering is is you have to be gay but in the in the men's division there's there's not so many gay players at least openly gay players so it makes you wonder like the afl they're very loud and proud about it which is great but are they, are they doing enough to make a player feel comfortable? I don't know. I, I feel as though it's almost my responsibility now to, to start contacting football clubs and individual players and just saying, hey, look, I'm pretty sure these blokes in your team are gay. Maybe pull them aside because out of, what is there? There's 20, there's 18 teams, 19 teams now times there's probably 40 people on the list. What's that? That's getting close to 400 players. But then there's the thing that, like last night I was talking to my wife and you go, well, maybe there actually isn't as many gay players in the AFL in the men's division as what you would think. Because you say, okay, out of 400 men, how many are going to be gay? I don't know what the actual stats are. But there's an interesting point, like predominantly nurses are female, right? And predominantly men are engineers. I've heard Jordan Peterson talk about this. He says that's because men are more interested in things. And when you want to commit to a career of things, which is what an engineer is, you have to be really, really into things. Whereas women are more interested in people, so naturally they tend to go towards, um, they tend to go towards more people-oriented things, like like being a nurse. And then the other thing which I find is interesting is a lot of female sport is dominated by same-sex attracted players. Like you look at female soccer, you look at female AFL, you look at female cricket. It's not uncommon, whereas it's a lot less common to know about men who are gay in those divisions. So it makes you wonder, like, is it is it just because they're ashamed to come out or is it based on the fact that there's just not that many there? I don't know. I'm asking questions. But my, my other question is, why are there pride flags scattered throughout the AFL game? Like, it's not we're not there to celebrate gay pride. I mean, it's great that you support it if you do. But I don't really understand why my football team has a 
has the rainbow flag in the audience. It's, it's very strange. I don't know if they've been placed there. Do you reckon they've been placed there maybe? We had a Nazi march here in... It wasn't a planned Nazi march because they're not acceptable. But we had a, a... It was confusing actually. I haven't followed it super, super closely over here. But in Victoria, in Melbourne last weekend, there was a, a women's protest... And then there was a Nazi protest. Like there were these other Nazi protesters who protested the women's march. The women's march, from what I understand, were protesting against the local government saying they, they don't want um, transgender men or transgender women. So women women with a penis is, I think, the easiest way to explain it. I get myself confused. That's the only way I can remember it. So uh, a man who's become a woman, or you know what I'm trying to say, don't you? They're now allowed in so many of the bathrooms where, like, your woman who was born a woman, as controversial as that is to say in 2023, are, are getting changed. So they were down there protesting that. And then this Nazi group, they call it. Nazis become a word which is, it's thrown around a lot more, a lot more freely than what it's ever been before. In my lifetime, anyway. I know back in the 30s and 40s it was a bit more popular and you didn't have to hide your allegiance to it so much. In fact, you'll probably frowned upon if you weren't part of it. But here in Melbourne the other day, it was like they're going to, as a result of this, the government came out and they said, hey, the problem here is the Nazis. The problem's not the women's protest, which is interesting. It's ironic like because Nazi is, it just one-ups everything, doesn't it? You can have a women's protest, but if Nazis rock up, obviously you're going to talk about the Nazis. And so it just seems too convenient. It seems too convenient for the um, for the government to have not planted that. I don't know what I'm talking about as well. Maybe there really are flogs who go out and they're actual legitimate Nazis. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they exist. I know they exist. I've seen a couple of Louis Theroux's documentaries where he talks about that. But I don't know anyone who looks at those people and go, yeah, that's acceptable. I mean, you've got you to squash it before it gets out of hand like it did... Uh, in the middle of last century, don't you? But I just don't think we have the, like from what I understand, I don't know, I've been learning a lot more about this recently, but I don't think there's like a national call to follow any particular leader who's pushing you in that direction. You know, it's a good thing that now we're looking at the, the Nazis and going, okay, that's not on. Whereas back then it was it was the, the end thing. So I say all that to say that maybe maybe those Nazis were planted. I don't know. I've never met one. Maybe the pride flags are... Oh, that's what I was trying to get to. Maybe they've just been planted. Maybe it's a little political statement. Someone from the Victorian government putting it out there. If you're a gay footballer, hey, please, please explain to me how this works. You're not going to, though, because if you're a gay footballer, I'm not going to know you're gay because you haven't come out yet is what I'm being told. So it's a very interesting time in the world of AFL. I don't necessarily, well, actually, not necessarily, I don't like at all how much politics has just crossed over into every element of sport. I remember I used to just be able to turn on the TV and watch guys run into each other as fast as they can and try and get this little ball through the big sticks, and that was entertaining enough. Now I have to turn it on and deal with, like, everything's a political statement, which is... I mean, you speak to... I feel as though political statements should be fine, but they need to be backed up with something with a little bit more substance, don't you think? Like, I reckon it should be fine to, say, take a knee and stand for Black Lives Matter as long as in your off-season you go and volunteer six weeks of your time in, the, in an Aboriginal community if you're here in Australia. 
That makes more sense, doesn't it? Because anyone can change a profile picture, anyone can take a knee and just make it look as though they're doing the right thing. That's the very easy thing to do. And if you don't do that, you're called a racist. But the truth is, like taking a knee, I don't really understand how that does anything for anyone apart from making yourself look a bit better. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I'm not sure. It's just been something that's on my mind lately and I want to hear your thoughts on it. If I really wanted to hear your thoughts on it, I'd probably call you because there's not much that you can contribute to a conversation based on the fact it's a podcast, but it's the nature of the beast. It's just how things are going. I've been frustrated the last couple of weeks because I'm training for the Melbourne Marathon and uh, I haven't run for competitively for about 12 years now and as a result I've put on 10 kilos I'm naturally 10 years older so my body's looking at me going dude what are you doing like I thought this was a part of our history and so every time I go out to try and run fast I've been getting little strains in my calves I've done my left run I've done my right my right one and so I'm trying to navigate my way through that the mistake I've made and it's been lingering since late January because I keep rushing back to it so I'm in the process of this week is a week off running I've turned into a star in the swimming pool um, I was down there yesterday. I, it's weird when you're not a regular part of a sport. Like I caught up with a mate of mine who's a swimmer this morning and I told him the sessions that I've been doing and he was polite. He was very respectful about it. But then he told me what he does the same session in. So I did a 500 meter warm up, and then I did 10 by 100 meters off two minutes. So I was doing the 100 meter efforts in like a minute and a half and I'd have 30 seconds rest. And he goes, yeah, we do similar sessions like that. He goes, yeah, we, we sort of do the 100 metres efforts in about a minute six. And I said, well, that you've beat me by a lap of the pool then, haven't you? Whereas I get out of the pool and I feel like I'm a bit of a hero doing that. It's interesting when you meet people who are better at something than what you are. And you have to backtrack on the arrogance that you came into the statement with. I was fairly convinced that he was going to be impressed with what I had to say. But it turns out he, he thought I was a flog and, and there was really nothing impressive about what it was that I was telling him. So I'm hoping, I've still got six or seven months until the Melbourne Marathon. What is it? We're, we're March now. So I'm thinking if I can get back in the middle of April, that's middle of May, June, July, August, September, October. Six months. You can get fit in six months. I was amazed at how quickly my fitness started to come back even in the first month of training. Maybe that's the problem. In my mind, I knew I needed to take a little bit of time off and have a, not time off, but just have an easy week thrown in there somewhere. I thought if I can have an easy week thrown in there somewhere, it'll just get my body a chance to absorb it. But I got excited. I pushed it too hard. I did a little calf strain. My wife teases me saying I'm an old man, which is something. It's amazing how triggered I get by that statement, which probably suggests it's true. Because you've got no 10-year-olds who are getting triggered about being old, do you? Like no 10-year-old take that threat seriously or that, that label seriously because they know they're not. Whereas when you're 36, I guess you're 26 years past 10, that starts to sound a little bit older. I remember my 10th birthday and I was freaking out. I, I remember I was in Perth and we just crossed over Whitford's Ave and we're going down Marmion Avenue, I think it was. We're right near where Whitford City used to be for you West Australians. I'm not sure it's called Whitford City anymore. But we, we crossed over and I thought, oh my gosh, tomorrow I'm double figures. I guess I'm still double figures, like that part hasn't changed, but the, the amount of figures in that double figure has, has increased significantly since then. But at the same time, I've, I've listened to podcasts, I listened to Rich Roll's podcast a while ago and he interviewed a centurion and this guy didn't even take up running till he was nearly 40. So I was like, hang on, you only know what you know, don't you? So so many of my mates who are around the same age are like, oh, we're getting old, but it's like, okay, compared to what? Compared to the primary school kids that you teach, yeah, you're, you're a little bit older. But compared to that bloke who's 100, I mean, you're, doing, you're fine. 
don't worry about it. So I say this all to justify my marathon attempts. <laughs> it's been a little while. Uh, I do some running coaching um, outside of this. Like I say I do some. It's actually my it's my, my full-time thing now. I, I still hesitate to say that because it started as a small thing. Even last year, it was like a relatively small thing. And then... I guess like anything, the more time you're spending it, the bigger it gets and the more of your time it takes up. So I've got to stop hesitating when I say I do a bit of run. That's my, that's my thing now. It pays a lot better than comedy, <laughs> which isn't, which isn't a, um, a brag by any means. Because if you, I did a 15-minute headliner set the other day, they call it, down at Gorilla, and I got to the end of my set and I got paid 20 bucks. And I've never been so happy with a, a gig in my life based on the fact I got 20. So if you're getting pumped up about $20, for that 15 minutes of work when you, you know i mean it took me two hours to get there and to get home so it, i don't even know that it covered petrol money to be honest but you know you're not in an industry that pays really well unless i mean you can like anything you take it to a certain level i saw aussie comedian luke kidgel the other day he was a runner himself he used to be a runner luke kidgel if you haven't seen him check him out on instagram he's got some really good clips He's just great with crowd work. His crowd work is his really strong thing. He, he constantly posts new clips of his crowd work, and he's just a funny man. He's got the ability to riff really well. And uh, I saw the other day he, he rocked up to London, and I don't know how many people were in the arena, but have a look at his Instagram photo, and you tell me. But, I mean, if you're Luke, you Luke Kidgel, you, you're probably making a little bit of money off it now, surely. And if you're not, something's wrong, but he is. And good on him. He deserves it because he's very, very funny. But when you're performing to 12 people at Gorilla Bar in Hawthorne, you know, you're not... You're not at the top of the league just yet, which is fine. But that's it's the same with anything, isn't it? No one's going out running super fast just to... Um, everything with me goes back to running analogies, doesn't it? No one's going out and winning the Olympic medal after a couple of years of training. I don't think. I bet there's an exception to that rule, but they are the exception in general. Hey, I've been listening to... Do you know Rick Rubin? Rick Rubin is a music producer. He's been on Joe Rogan's podcast a couple of times. He's a really interesting guy. Um, he's got a book called, I think it's The Creative Act. I'm listening to it on Audible. If you're interested in creativity at all, or you've got like a side hustle, or you've got any um, appreciation for the creative process, check it out. It is it is so good. It's one of those books that, yeah, I, I used to be really uninterested in the creative process as such. I used to think that the creatives of the world were just painters. And then when you start getting involved in comedy and you start listening to some music, you go, oh, okay, well, like there's a whole nother way that you can view the world of creativity. And Rick Rubin puts that in perspective. And man, he just, he makes the whole process really exciting. He's just, he's, he's part hippie. And I like the way he speaks, which is strange because he, he's very, uh, it's not ASMR, but he's very precise with the way that he uses his words, which I'm trying to do. I listened to a sermon by a bloke called John Mark Comer. He's from a church in Portland the other day, and he was saying it's important if you're a Christian, you've got to be precise with your speech. And I was like, oh, man, I've got so much to work on. <laughs> I say dick and balls like it's gone out of fashion. I mean, it's, it's, and that's one thing. Like, if you go into a church, you're not going there to hear a bloke talk about dick and balls. That's one thing where I get a little bit torn with comedy because I, I find... I find comedy so much fun when you say things you're not supposed to say. And that's that's like the foundation of my joking style. I love saying the things that you're not supposed to say. But then I listen to John Mark Comer and I go, oh, okay, well, I really respect this guy and like what he has to say. But I think comedy, there's maybe an exception in comedy. I think there's an exception, surely. 
Like as long as the goal is to make people laugh. Like there's things that I wouldn't say on stage, but there's many, many lines that I would be happily I would be happy to cross. Because I think sometimes the funny stuff is going into the territory that you're not supposed to talk about, isn't it? That's what I like. That's one thing that Rick Rubin said in his book the other day. He was he was talking about how art is confrontation. And I thought, hey, that's a that's a cool way to that's a cool way to put it. Like art being give me one sec of there we go. Sorry, I, I thought I had the volume muddled up on the microphone. Art is confrontation. So you're going to say something sometimes which rub people up the wrong way. And that's the other funny thing. Some people are offended by something and uh, completely unoffended by something else. So it's, I guess, impossible to, to please everyone. He said in his, in his book this morning when I was driving out to have a coffee with my swimming mate and, and my other mate, Jocker, he said that if half the audience isn't angry at you when you're on stage, then you're not probably being super loyal. Like you can't go out onto stage and try and please everyone. Whereas if you get out on stage and you are, um, you know, half the audience is angry at you and the other half is with you, that's more engaging. Like it's surely more engaging to listen to someone who you spend half the time going, oh mate, you're such a muppet, which is probably what keeps bringing so many people back to this podcast. I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> One of my mates said to me a while ago, he goes, I listen to all of your podcasts and sometimes I just drive to work just raging at some of the things that you said. And I'm like, okay, that sounds like, a success <laughs> at least at least you're thinking about it which is fine i'm not coming here as a prophet i'm just coming here to tell you what i've been thinking about lately no one refers to the pop culture podcast as their educational source do they and if you do i encourage you to go elsewhere because there's <laughs> there's many far more qualified people to speak on every topic that i bring up anyway apart from that yeah i've uh I watched that Netflix documentary on MH370 the other day. If you haven't watched it yet, maybe skip this part because I want to talk about it. I hate those documentaries that go on for four episodes and at the end they get there and they're like, yeah, so we're not sure what happened. It's like, Mate, you, honestly, you could have said that in such, such a more simple way. Like it was a waste of my time. I skipped the third episode and fast forwarded to the end of the fourth episode because about halfway through the first episode I thought oh it just seems as though there's a lot of differing opinions and no one's really 100% sure what's going on here and I've got a feeling it's going to be one of those pod uh, one of those documentaries that finished in that way and it did it finished in that way it got to the end and they go okay yeah no one no one really knows what what happened exactly but here's heaps of different thoughts so stay tuned I watch documentaries to get a unique take. That wasn't a unique take for me. For me, I watched that and I was like, oh, that's what I thought. That's what I thought before I watched this documentary. Like I was already on that page and I've done 28 seconds of research into the conversation. You want to you want to go down some really interesting avenues and hear all the ideas and then at the very end you want to hear them say, ha but here, this is what was real. And they, they didn't. They just they finished as they started. So if you're taking recommendations this week, ladies and gentlemen, highly encourage you not to not to watch that one. I do encourage you, on the other hand, let me get this because I want to show you. Oh, man, I munted my back as well. Give me one second. This is one book. This is one book that you've got to check out. So I went to my mate's house for dinner the other day. Oh, I don't know. I was at the gym the other day doing um, doing some squats, and I didn't notice anything when I was there. But I got home and, and something was something was up. So now, like, I tell you, I'm giving these people so much fuel for fire when it comes to these bloody uh, old man jokes. 
So this this joke was uh, this book this joke this book was recommended to me, the complete mouse. I think am I saying that right? If you're just listening to this, I've got the book cover here. It's by a guy called Art Spiegelman. And look at this. I never read a book like this before. I've never really been into comics. But it's essentially one guy's journey through um, Auschwitz. Uh, so this Art Spiegelman, from what I understand, so his dad went through the actual uh, war as a as a prisoner as war uh, prisoner of war. As a, uh, I'm not sure, I can't remember where he was based. A Jewish guy uh, went to Auschwitz. He escaped, obviously. I mean, we didn't escape. He, the war ended, and and he was freed. Wild story, though. I'm going to be honest. I don't know my journalist prize as well. My writing prizes. It says it's the winner of the Pulitzer Prize. I got super. I got super addicted with it. Like I, he gave it to me a couple of weeks ago, and I it sort of just sat on my bedside table. And then the other day, I was like, "All right, I'll give this a proper go." Amazing. Like I, I don't know. It's I don't know what it is about comic books in particular. I mean, you feel like you get through them faster because there's not as much writing. It's always nice to have a couple of pictures in front of you. But it was emotional. Obviously. Like anything war related, I guess if you're if you're like a decent writer, you're gonna be able to bring that emotion into it. So you should check that out. Art Spiegelman. I think I think it was, let me tell you, nineteen eighty nine maybe he wrote it. Um oh, nineteen eighty six first published. No, it could even be earlier than that, sorry. Nineteen seventy three. So maybe this maybe this particular print was nineteen eighty six. I'm really not sure. It looks as though okay. I just okay. I think the earliest date I can see, 1973. We're going back there a little bit. It's weird to me. Like you think of 1973. That's 50 years ago now. 53. Uh, 50 years before 1973 was 1923. It puts in perspective how, like at the time that he wrote this book, the Second World War wasn't that far between. That's what trips me out. I think of my nan who who passed away back in 2018. My granddad. They were born in 1933. It's crazy to think of what they went through or what they experienced or what was taking place in the world when they were on it. I know there's still crazy things taking place, but I mean, like World War II has a particularly strong place in our minds um, because so many, especially here in Australia, like so many of our boys went and fought there, huh? So that one stands out as a real significant event. So like in, in our culture, I'm not sure why I'm trying to give you a history lesson, but what I'm trying to say, it just trips me out that I think what I'm trying to say is it just it makes me realise how, how recent it was. I know we're getting close to 80 years ago now that it finished, but I think my point doesn't make sense really, is what I've just realised. But anyway, check out that book, The Complete Mouse. I hope I'm saying that right. If I'm not, apologies. Um, but there's a good chance you actually don't, you actually don't know what, what it is that I'm trying to refer to. I told you about the other book that I, I finished few weeks ago called the nightingale that was a really good one i was annoyed at myself because i've got it i've got about i love i love a good book but as a, like always on the hunt for a good book i've got about nine different going and then the other day i was like ah i barely finished a book all year i've got to just calm down but then um i'm kind of on a roll now like i'm finishing a few of them getting close like that the creative act is got a couple of hours left of the audio book there it's weird though, isn't it? I think there's some credit in. I remember Seth Godin, the marketing 
uh, he's, he's a blogger. I feel like I'm doing a massive disrespect to his name. But Seth Godin, he writes a daily blog. He says he starts so many more books than he finishes. And that kind of makes sense to me. I'm the kind of guy that does the same thing. I'll start a lot of books. And once I get the idea, like that MH370 documentary, I go, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I see what they're saying. <laughs> like, skip. <laughs> That's weird. I don't know what that is. I don't know what it is about me that doesn't like to leave a book unfinished. But I'll do it. I'm not afraid to do that. That's for sure. Anyway, it's been good to catch up with you because, uh, as I said, I missed last week. I didn't have a valid excuse for it. I'm taking my boy again to the pool this afternoon. I'm hoping he sees his little girlfriend, Lenny, just for his own sake. I haven't mentioned her name because I don't want him to get there and be shattered if she's not there. And he will be. And it's just going to make the experience at the pool, you know, a whole lot less enjoyable. It's so funny today. He does this thing on a Friday called Bush School. And he got home today and uh, he goes, Dad, I got in a fight. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, okay, sure. I looked at my wife and she's like, no, no, he got in a he got in a fight. Like he wanted a shovel. He came up to me, he's like, I snatched the shovel. I was like, you don't snatch, buddy. My wife's like, no, no, the other little prick snatched it off him first. I was like, well, good on you, mate. We'll get you some judo lessons soon so you can do that with a little more confidence. But then uh, <laughs> Denny, I think his name was, she's like, no, no, they were, they were getting into it. She was like, Charlie was enraged. He's got a good little temper on him. I think that's quite normal for a two-year-old though. I think two-year-olds in general have a, a little bit of fire about it because they can't regulate their emotion as well. I'm 36 and struggle to regulate my emotion from time to time. And I've had a lot of practice. So good on my little boy. He's doing well. Hey, I hope everything in your life has gone well. Thanks for stopping by here today. I'm um, heading down to Geelong tonight to tell some funny jokes once again. I've been inspired by the great man himself, Luke Kidju. So I'm going to get the camera out and hope and hope that uh, I can get some good footage. So hey, jump over to Instagram. I'm pretty sure I've been shadow banned. I've, I've I had a lot to say over the last couple of years, <laughs> but um, yeah, nonetheless, I think one in every 12 of my posts might come up on your feed, so it'd be good to have your support and love. Hey, you guys have a, a great weekend. We're getting ready for pancakes tomorrow morning. It's a new tradition in the Popplestone household. Start the Sabbath with a bang, as they say, a spoonful of honey and some nice little pancakes. So that is going to be my weekend. I hope yours is an absolute treat, and uh, I'll be back here next week, hopefully with a guest. We'll see how we go. All right, we'll see you then.